All right, welcome. You guys had a good morning? Oh, a couple of you have. That's cool. That's cool. That's all right. Well, I'm glad that you're all here today. I personally am, am glad to see all of your smiling faces uh, here this morning and that you chose to be here to worship with us in the theater. Although I also believe that it was God who drew you here for a specific reason and purpose. All right, I do believe that, that if you are in this building and you're hearing my voice today, that God wants to do something profound in your life. He really does. I believe that here this morning. I believe that he wants to set some people free today. I believe that he wants to help some people shed some anxiety and frustration this morning. I believe that God wants to speak to each of you specifically and individually because he cares about the big and small things going on in your life. Can somebody let out a praise of God? Praise, praise for God who cares about the small and intimate things in our lives. Come on. That's who our God is. He does that. He loves, he cares about us individually, not just us as a church, not just us collectively as the bride of Christ and the whole church across America and across the world, but each and every one of us, he cares. And I believe that this morning he's going to do something incredible in some lives. Someone asked me a little while back, um, I remember as we were kind of getting, getting going and starting this, this church, uh, uh, you know, about a year, a little over a year ago, somebody asked me what was going to make our church different from all the other churches in the community or, or even, you know, like the county in the area. And my mind immediately went to, you know, some different things. Like my mind, for one thing, went to our music. We have, I think, a unique and distinct uh, musical sound. We, we choose songs based on scriptural merit and doctrinal value over good guitar riffs and, and catchy melodies. Although I do love a good guitar riff, and Eric and all the other guitarists kill it. I love that. But that's not why we choose the music. We worship loud and we celebrate with volume because the Lord tells the choir director in Psalms to clap your hands and shout to God with loud songs of joy. So I knew, I knew the way we worship would set us apart maybe from, from other churches, other gatherings, and um, not just, you know, we, we don't just do like kind of the, the golden oldies from the last decade or so, or, or even the hymns of old, or even the newest and catchiest songs. In fact, I tend to stay away from the new and catchy songs, but, but that ultimately isn't what I think sets us apart. I was thinking about that question. I thought about our philosophy of ministry, our desire to reach out into the community, to pour into the, the last, the least, and the lost. Many churches are great at talking about that. We want to be great at doing it. Not just money, but, but actual sweat equity, right? Not just, not just bussing people in so that they can come to, to our spot and attend our church gatherings, but actually going to where they are and allowing God to impact them through us in their spot, right where they are in their moment, in their situation, in their circumstance. Literally reaching the last, the least, and the lost is a cornerstone to this ministry. One of our main end goals of, of, of church is to help reconcile a lost people back to the Father. That's the, the closing words that Jesus left us with when he ascended back to heaven. So we are implementing it. We serve God. We serve the city. We love unreasonably. We leave a legacy. Even though it seems pretty basic when you look at scripture, I knew that this would probably set us apart from other churches. But again, that's not, that's not really the thing that does it for me in my head. That's not the thing that I would say. That's, that's the one thing I could put my finger on. What's going to make our church different from all the other churches in the community? I go a lot of other ways with it. We obviously meet in a very unique space. We have a, you know, we have a certain method of church governance, our attention to detail. But when I think about what makes us unique, I hope that the answer is unwavering belief. Unwavering 
belief. What do I mean by that? We believe that God is who he says he is. We believe that, that God created each of us with a purpose and that he works all things for his glory and our good. We believe so strongly, though, church, that, that we act on it. We believe in the Great Commission, so we live it out right here in our community. We believe so strongly in the word of God and the power of prayer that when we pray for people, they aren't just idle prayers and empty words, but they are faith-filled, bold belief prayers. We believe in our God, and the difference is, I hope, I hope the difference at this church is that we believe in the things God says, so much so that we're willing to act it out, so much so that we're willing to put actions to words. James 1 uh, talks about faith and belief. It says that uh, when we come to God, when we ask God for something, we have to believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea. He's blown and tossed by the wind. And also says that this man shall not receive anything from the Lord. Because you don't, you don't believe, but when I say that I believe that God has a message for you specifically today, I believe that. And, and when I say I believe that God wants to free some people today, I honestly believe that. That's not lip service or, or something that, uh, that something cool for, for like a pastor to say as he comes up and begins the, the message. Uh, I believe that God wants to do something incredible in your life. So, so with that in mind, can we just pray one more time? Father, we open ourselves up to you right now. Maybe through the first 35, 40 minutes of this gathering, We've been listening to the music, we've been listening to the words, but we haven't really been engaging with you. Maybe, maybe some of the anxieties of our day-to-day -day lives are weighing down on us. Maybe some of the tough circumstances that we have to face, maybe even right as we walk out these doors in just a little while, maybe those things are at the forefront of our minds and we're not able to give our all to you. We're not able to open ourselves up to you. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that we're able to do that in this place. That we're ready to receive what you would have for us. Speak into our hearts, speak into our lives here, God. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So why don't you turn with me to Philippians 4, uh, and we're going to get there in just a moment. I don't know why I still say turn with me uh, to a passage, because that only applies to like three of you that bring a physical Bible here. And hear me, I'm not speaking against that. I get it. It's dim lighting, and it's just easier to have a phone or to look on the screen. I get that. But for some reason, it's just like such a force of habit. Turn to Philippians 4. So open your device and punch in Philippians 4. See, it doesn't sound as nice. It's turned to. It just sounds got a nice ring to it. We're beginning a fun series that I've personally looked forward to for several months now. It's called 4 for 4, and the goal is to have four different pastors share four different messages that God has laid on their hearts for us. And, 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 and so I've been looking forward to it since we've launched the church, um, and, and even through all the, the whole pre-launch phase, uh, I've been working basically like two full-time jobs, both startups with graphic design and then the church. And, and when I was praying about how I wanted to start the year, obviously 21 days of prayer and fasting came to mind, and that's great, and that's that's done. We did that, and that was incredible. Uh, but then I thought that, hey, it would be nice to take a little break from teaching for, for just a moment and, and shift some of, our, some of my attention to kind of some other things, get ahead on some stuff, uh, you know, enjoy a Saturday or two, and, um, which, which is, still is what's happening. Uh, we have three great speakers coming over the next three weeks, and I was originally not supposed to be a part of the four, but something came up, and our first speaker had to pull out. So here I am. 
Congratulations. Um, but I am actually really excited about today. I feel like God has given me a word, and I'm excited to release uh, this particular message today. And I pray, and I have prayed, and we just prayed a moment ago that you are ready to receive it. Um, I've mentioned before, if you've been here for a while, you, you, you probably like can track with this, but I mentioned before that, that probably like 2015, 2016 uh, were some of the hardest years of our lives as a family. Uh, the beginning of 2017, probably equally rough, but, but that led us to planting this church and being able to do life with and worship with all of you uh, amazing people. So, so I kind of like take the bad with the good, I guess. But um, as many of you know, when you're in the midst of a hard time, an impossible situation even, it's so hard to see the silver lining. It's so hard to see God's hand in that, in that time and in that, in that specific moment. It's very, very difficult whenever everything is so dark around you. It's hard to focus in on God's promises. And 2015, 16 were some of the darkest times of my life. My faith was challenged. My, my marriage struggled. I wasn't the husband or the father that I was supposed to be because my circumstances and my environment were quite honestly strangling the passion of life for me. Maybe you're in here this morning and you can relate to that. No matter what the circumstances in your life are, that feeling, I think, is universal. We can all feel that way at times. Now, I've never really dealt with anxiety in my life. In fact, when Jen and I first met, and she's not in here, so um, I guess she doesn't get to hear this part. But uh, when Jen and I first met, she had a lot of anxiety about a lot of things, and I didn't understand it. I really had no clue. I, I didn't get it. It didn't make sense to me. I remember one time we, when we were dating, um, so uh, she was driving home. To, to go spend the weekend at home from college, and uh, her, her college was about two hours away from her school, and so she drove home, and you know, obviously, we're in the dating phase, and, and in the dating phase, you talk for hours on the phone. I don't know what about. I still have no idea what we talked about, uh, and it blows my mind that, that people can talk on the phone for hours. I'm usually like, three minutes or less is really my goal. Um, but for some reason, we, we would talk. She, would, she was driving home. You know, we, we talked probably a couple of times along the way. I don't know. But when she got home, she calls me and says, you know, basically she's having a, a panic attack. She's having anxiety. Uh, and, and she's like talking, you know, like in my mind, nonsense. Like I have no idea what she's talking about. I'm like, just, you know, just stop doing that and have something to drink or like, you know, have something to eat. Like maybe you need to use the bathroom. I don't know what's going on. But she's like freaking out. And she just drove two hours home. She's been home for five minutes. She said, Robbie, I got to leave. I got to go back to school. I can't be here. I can't be in this, this place right now. And I'm like, this, what am I getting myself into? And so she does that. So she drives all the way back home. And, and I was not, I just got to say, I was not, I had no idea how to handle that. I was not equipped uh, or prepared to take on her state of mind. And I thought this in college. It was, it's, a great, it's a great thing that we went to school 10 hours apart because uh, I didn't have to, like, necessarily uh, be thrust into it. I could actually just kind of from the outside figure a way and figure out how to, 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 to get to know this situation a little bit better. So the, the anxiety uh, actually manifested itself while we were driving as well. She had travel anxiety uh, as another thing. I think she had an accident at some point early in our relationship and that kind of just like brought on a whole new, uh, you know, docket of anxieties. Um, in fact, traveling anxiety was, was <laughs> some of those trips. Like some, we made those trips together every once in a while, uh, you know, 10 hours, like she would come and visit my family or I would go down and visit her family or whatever. And, and those road trips were probably some of the most frustrating ones of my life, uh, because she would jump in panic at every little thing. 
we we were about to pass an 18 wheeler on the interstate which is what everybody does all the time it's a very normal thing she freaked out uh the car would break like a thousand feet in front of us and she jumps and clinches and tightens and 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 so so this anxiety this travel anxiety would call i i think i I, i'm trying i was trying to think back yesterday through all all of our relationship and i don't think i'm a pretty patient person um i don't like get stressed or, or, you know, I, I kind of, uh, I have, I have, a, I have, a, I think God's given me a great deal of patience, but, uh, the one time or, or a few times that I think I ever raised my voice at my soon to be wife, um, was while driving because she had this, uh, thing where she would freak out so much, like she would have so much anxiety and stress and whatever that she would actually reach over and try to grab the will. I can handle the jumping. I can handle the clenching. I can handle all of those things. But woman, don't touch the wheel. We're driving. You're going to kill us all here. Like, come on. So it's, it was, I encouraged her. She, and she, she wouldn't mind if I shared all this. She, she thinks it's funny, too, that, that she kind of, um, you know, some of these things. Like, looking back 2020, she can kind of see hindsight. Like, wow, wow, I can't believe I was in that state of mind. But the thing is, is she she got a little bit of help, some some Christian biblical help. And so... The thing is, is I didn't truly, even going through it with her, I still never understood it. It didn't make sense to me until I started to experience and feel some of these things myself. It really didn't. But I remember in this time, in that, that those years of 20, 2015, 2016, I would walk into a certain place and I would feel anxious, overwhelmed with darkness. I would almost go into a, a, a panic thinking of conversations that, that I had to have and thinking of every possible outcome of that conversation. I remember one night just going into like a full-on panic attack while I was trying to sleep, and I didn't even know what was happening. I, I had to ask Jen, and she, you know, I explained what was happening, and she's like, oh, yeah, this is my life. This is what I dealt with. You're having a panic attack right now. This is what's happening. And, and somewhere along the way, toward the end of those tough years, God dropped these words into my heart, and I, I want to share those with you from Philippians 4. These are some of Paul's words to the church of Philippi. And, and, he, and he dropped these on me not long after I had that, that kind of like first uh, wild experience with, with panic and, 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 and sort of breakdown. And, and these were the words that I, I've read these words before. You've read these words before. If you've been a believer for any length of time, you've probably read this passage before. Um, and, and it might even be one of your favorite verses or favorite passages. I know it's, it's one that I was very fond of uh, in the New Testament, but the situation that, that I was in really illuminated these words for me in a different way. And I believe it was why, uh, it, it was why I was able to move forward in confidence with where God was, was leading us. Uh, so Philippians chapter 4. Starting in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about those things. This morning, I want to talk uh, for just a brief moment about moving from anxiety to gratitude. When I thought about what Paul has written and meditate on these words in relation to my own situations, it, it wasn't like a cool mist or a calm breeze like in the movies. All right, like just, oh, okay, let me just release everything and now I'm, I'm, I'm happy and I'm great. It's not, it doesn't really work like that. 
What I knew was that I didn't want to feel the way I felt about, about my, my life, my job, my calling with, with everything, really. And what I knew was that the weight I was carrying with it was not good. But what I didn't know, what I didn't know was how not to feel that way until I began to meditate and dissect what Paul is talking about in these verses in this particular letter to the church at Philippi. And it was interesting to me because Paul makes this thing seem easy, right? I mean, as you read it, as you read it, it, it kind of makes it seem pretty easy. Hey, just don't be anxious. You know, simple. And that's how we respond to other people, right? That's how I used to respond to people. They're going through something and we say, oh, don't worry about it. It's all right. Everything's going to work out. Just pray about it. And I think we do that in part because we don't know what to say, or at least I didn't before I had my own set of experiences. Hey, how about this? Here's a word to the wise. This is just something that I learned over the years, maybe. Don't say anything. Just be present. You don't always have to have the answers. You don't always have to have the right answers. You don't always have to know the right thing to say. Sometimes the right answer isn't even what's needed. But as I dissected what Paul was talking about in this passage, as I kind of dissected this and meditated on this, a light bulb went off and I want to share the breakthrough that I, I kind of had with you in just a second. But the other thing that I wanted to understand was how is it that Paul had this perspective? How could he be so calm? I reread the entire chapter. So we went back, reread the entire chapter here uh, of, of what's going on and what Paul's talking about. Uh, and so I wanted to zoom out a little bit and get a better context of what was happening with Paul and what was going on. Because I, I wanted to understand uh, how he was so confident and how he could arrive at this point. Before we get to the part I actually want to get to, I just first want to look at what's happening with Paul. So first, Paul's writing this letter from prison. Paul is in jail when he's writing this around 60 or 61 AD. As a matter of fact, the letter he wrote to the Philippians was one of four prison letters. He wrote one to the church at Ephesus, the church at Colossae, and, the, and, and to Philemon. And to me, just knowing where he is writing the letter from kind of helped me. Like, this isn't some corporate executive retired out by the lake. He's got a nice house and a vacation home, and he's telling me it's all good. Like, like if I just lost my job and I'm in despair, and then he tries to relate by saying, oh, yeah, I remember one time the stock market went dipped and I, like, lost some investments. And that's not the same thing. Like, I can't relate to that. We're not, we're not on the same level. We're not relating at this point. Not that I can relate to being in jail either, just so you know. But I can relate to being down. I can relate to feeling as though I am not in the best of places. So Paul is in jail, and he's writing to people, people not in jail. He's writing to those people, telling them not to be anxious. That just seems crazy given his circumstances. How can he be so positive? He also says in the letter that he doesn't even know if he'll be convicted or released, which is even more baffling. Another thing you need to understand at this point is that prisoners were not treated very well. I think it's probably safe to make that jump and make that assumption. But, but just so you know, prisoners were not treated very well. They weren't taken care of. Family and friends had to come and see about them and bring them provisions uh, or else they, they would probably just like more than likely rot in jail. So this is a crazy situation. You also have to understand that Paul is of an elite status. Another little background note about him, his education, his background, all the things put him in a privileged place. But now he's in prison. He's in prison because he was following a guy named Jesus, and that literally cost him everything. But despite all of this, as you continue to read Paul's letters, he was always so positive. He opens his letters positively. He even says in Philippians, 
112 earlier uh, in this in this particular book, he talks about how being in jail is even a positive thing. He puts a spin on it. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, this is in Philippians 112, uh, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Let's put a positive spin on that. He was like a PR genius. At this point, I most people, I think, would think Paul is kind of crazy. But I don't want you to think that Paul is some superhuman without worries. As a matter of fact, he says in chapter 2 that he does have anxieties. And he mentions one of the anxieties he has. So, so for us, we shouldn't feel bad when we get down on ourselves and, and we have our moments. That's a normal part of life. That's a normal part of being a human. I heard somebody say one time, it's okay to have your moment, but don't let your moment have you. It's okay to have your moment, but don't let your moment have you. It's kind of some good words to, to, to kind of keep in mind and live by. So the question is, is how do you do that? How do you have tears and not let yourself stay in a place where you feel torn apart? How do you get mad and still make good decisions? Let's get real for a sec. How do you get frustrated when somebody cuts you off in traffic and you don't cuss them out? So I want to zoom in on these three verses in Philippians 4 that we read a moment ago and answer some of these questions this morning. So as we look in chapter four, Paul is giving his final exhortations. He says just a few verses before we read in, in, in verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That was like uh, the greeting that meant that meant people, I want you to be well. Rejoice, be well in the Lord. And then he says in verse five, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And then we get to the part where we read a moment ago about being anxious. He says in verse six, do not be anxious about anything. Let's just stop right there. The word anxious in the Greek, it means to be troubled with cares or to be weighed down. So Jesus uses or, or talks about this same word six times in, in Matthew 6, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to paraphrase, paraphrase here. He says, uh, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothes. Worrying won't add anything to your life. Don't even worry about tomorrow. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, church, but these are basic necessities that Jesus is talking about here. Don't worry about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat. Like, that's 75% of our decisions every day. I changed three times before coming to church this morning. I've thought about what I'm eating tonight during the Super Bowl at least six times in the last 24 hours. This is, this is, our, this is our life. But he says, don't worry about it. Put it aside. Don't worry about it. Jesus then goes on in Matthew 10, and he's talking with the disciples now, and he says, he says, when you get arrested, what? <laughs> Say again, Jesus, when, yeah, he says, when you get arrested. So Jesus is telling them that they will get arrested. It's going to happen. He said, when you get arrested, don't worry about how you're going to defend yourself because the Holy Spirit will give you the words when you need it. See, this is really problematic right here. This is a problem, not because what Jesus is saying is crazy, albeit it's close. This is a problem because it is counter to how we live our lives, right? Like we worry and then we plan and then we worry about our plans. That's, that's how we do it. That's, that's what we do, and nobody thinks twice about it, but it's counter to the way that Paul is talking to us uh, and counter to the way that Jesus wants us to live. So how do we do this? He continues in verse 6. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Okay. Now, that's pretty straightforward. I shouldn't be anxious. I should pray, right? Now, that's what we prescribe to people all the time. Oh, don't worry. Just pray about it. 
as if prayer is some stress anti-inflammatory that's going to keep our situations from swelling up on us. I don't know if you've realized this yet, and I, I don't want you to hear this as a lack of belief or faith, but it doesn't really work like that. And for so long, I thought that was the thing too. Like, okay, I just need to pray. I just need to sit down and pray. And there's nothing, I mean, that is an excellent thing to do. But when we look closely at what Paul is outlining for us, there's a little detail in there. Yes, we pray. Prayer is important, helpful, beneficial, hands down. But there is a way that he's saying that we should pray, I think, that makes all the difference. See, many of us know know of or know how to take our request to God. Either we've seen people doing it or, or we know how to do it ourselves or we understand that idea of requesting things from God. But the part that, we, that is often left out is the phrase and mindset with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. See, it seems so minor, but yet it is so major. With is a preposition used as a function word to indicate combination. Let me get a little English on you for a second combination, complement, or addition. So let me, let me, uh, okay, let me break this down for you because I've been thinking about uh, burgers because I think I'm going to eat a burger tonight. Uh, so let me break this down with, for, for you for a second. I want a burger with cheese, lettuce, grilled onions, bacon, a fried egg. If you've never had it, you got to do it. Fried egg, runny yolk, you pop, oh, okay. Absolutely no mayo. And then I like a little ketchup and mustard, maybe. Okay. All of those things completely change the taste of a burger. Each and every one of those items change the taste of that burger. So with Thanksgiving being added into our prayers, the Thanksgiving piece makes a huge difference in how we pray. I remember having a conversation with a pastor that, that I love and respect dearly about my situation and circumstances that I was going through uh, a couple years ago. And I knew that he had been through similar things in his past. And so I wanted to gain some wisdom from his experience and perspective. And he shared some things that really got me going. You know how that goes? Like you go to somebody and you got a problem and they start sharing about their problem. Then you're both fired up and you're ready to like, you know, go conquer the world or go do something about it. And so, so he was sharing some things and he starts nailing the things that, that I was fired up about. And, and that's how the conversation was going. But then he paused and he asked something profound that hit me like a ton of bricks. He asked, what did I have to be thankful for over the last few years? What was I thankful for in the midst of my situation? You see, I wasn't celebrating the good in my life. I wasn't celebrating what was right with my situation. I wasn't giving credit to the positive things that were happening around me. I was just so laser focused on what was wrong and what was hard and what was causing me pain. I was praying and I was petitioning and I was making my request, but church, it was absent of thanksgiving. And that's what I want to settle on for the next couple of moments. There are two things I want to highlight that I think are incredibly important that Paul gives us, and they are simple things, but I want you to put them in your pocket, write them on your mirror, you know, do what you need to do so you can remember. Number one, very simple, we need to start praying with thanksgiving. We need to start praying with thanksgiving. In the Greek, uh, thanksgiving is, is grateful language toward God. It means active gratitude. That's it. You know, we're not grateful people by nature. If you have kids, you know this. I feel like I am on repeat with encouraging our kids to be grateful because they are generally, naturally not. I was actually thinking about this last night, and isn't it interesting how this, isn't it interesting how we criticize our, our kids today, uh, our kids, other people's kids, you know, 
random teenagers we see on on the street uh, for 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 being uh, ungrateful for the things that they have. But then but then we can kind of think back to our lives and our childhood, and we were never grateful for anything, and we were disrespectful and. Uh, so I know I try to show grace when explaining gratefulness to my kids because of that fact, because I was there, I've been there. But gratitude can be a hard one for us lowly humans. Gratitude is tough. True gratitude is so, so, so hard. But Paul, being the stand-up guy that he is, he gives us a template for how we should pray, including Thanksgiving, and he models it for us in his communication. So when you read through Paul's writings, you'll see a phrase or, or maybe a similar phrase, and he says something like this, I thank God when I pray for you. At the beginning of many of his letters, he says that right at the beginning. And in 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians. And I started thinking to myself, I wonder how things would change or how things would be different if we started to pray this way. If authentic thanksgiving was a part of our communication with God, what would happen? Well, we don't have to wonder because Paul tells us as we move on. He tells us in verse 7, watch this church. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The benefit to praying with thanksgiving is the peace of God. Now, who doesn't want the peace of God? Thanksgiving. Genuine gratitude is what opens the door for the peace to come in. Do you know why? Church, it's because you can't be grateful and selfish at the same time. You just can't. And Thanksgiving also starts to, to kind of temper our emotions. And when we start thanking God and remembering his blessings and remembering the things he has done, it begins to temper our emotions and reminds us of what he's capable of because what he has already done. The word peace there. In, uh, in, in that, that phrase, the peace of God, it's a Greek word uh, that when pronounced, it's not what it means, but when pronounced, it actually sounds like irony, the word irony. So I went to the, took the word irony just on, on a whim and went to the dictionary. And here's the definition. Incongru incongruity between the actual result of a sequence of events and the normal or expected results. Okay. So peace. Greek word, irony. Sounds like irony transcends all understanding. Is that not an irony in and of itself? Because your situation should be producing anxiety. But when you have the peace of God, your anxiety doesn't elevate, it deflates. It, pro it produces an irony and it causes people to say, hey, why are you so calm right now? It's not because there isn't craziness going on around you. It's because the peace of God is guarding your heart and guarding your mind that's, that's what we get whenever we, we stop and we pray with thanksgiving. You know what I've seen? I don't, want you to, I don't want you to miss this, church. When you are so busy being thankful and grateful, you don't have time. You don't have room for excessive complaints, for negativity, for drama. As a matter of fact, I think you get a heightened sensitivity where you're like, if, if I even sense it, I don't want to be around it. Don't we all know, know someone that we wish felt like that? Uh -huh, I saw some head nods. Now you all need to be grateful and thankful for that person that you just thought of. Don't be complaining. Love that person. The question is, what do you need to thank God for despite what is going on around you? And where is there an absence of thanksgiving in your life? It's a question we need to be asking ourselves. Number two, 
Paul says that we need to switch our thinking. We need to switch our thinking. So Paul tells us this uh, in verse, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You know, I was thinking about how we have uh, five senses, and four of them are like right here in close proximity to the brain. And these senses are, are, are gateways to the mind. And what we open these gateways up to vastly impacts our minds and our thinking and then takes residence in our hearts. So we have to be strategic about, about what we give access to, what, what we give access these gateways to. We have to be strategic with that. We need to identify people, places, and things that don't need to be there, and we need to replace them with people, places, and things that, that do need to be there that help keep us focused. I love baseball, and I was reading a story one time about Joe Madden. He's the manager for Chicago Cubs. He's an eccentric guy, uh, and he does things very differently. And he says, uh, he says, I play music in the locker room after every game, win or loss. I play some, play some fun music in the locker room because I want my players to not get too high but also not get too low. I want them to be focused on the process because it's a long season. If you didn't know, Major League Baseball is like 164 games. You generally win 60 and, and lose 60, and it's what happens with the other 42, 44 games that really makes a difference. So he's trying to influence how they are thinking, and he is guarding them against certain things so they can stay focused. The prophet Isaiah also says, and he's talking about God, he says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Steadfast in Hebrew means supported by, leaning on, resting on. The question is, is where do you need to keep your mind from going, and where do you need rest? That's why the 21 days of prayer and fasting was so crucial because so many of us needed rest. I heard from so many people that were taking a break from like social media uh, or entertainment, doing kind of what we were calling a soul fast, um, taking a break for some of those things. And, 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 and many of you that did that have mentioned that you might just continue to fast from it. Like you almost don't want to reintroduce that stuff back into your life. There's so much negativity in those places, so much anger and hate. Church, I think a huge problem that we face is that we are ingesting more of that stuff than we are ingesting what God says about us. See, the benefit of a healthy relationship with God is rest in God. Jesus says in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that you may have life and have it to the fullest, have abundant life. Because of anxious living, what is stolen from us is joy, peace, and rest. What is killed in us are hopes, dreams, and desires. And then we are ultimately destroyed for lack of proper care. Listen, the abundant life is not about the absence of issues, but it's a relationship with the one who is taking on those issues and who can overcome those issues. That's what abundant life is all about. Jesus said in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Listen, self-inflicted anxiety, and I'm not talking about 
biological things that are going on in our bodies or mental health. And those, those are, are sort of things, which is a whole separate issue that as a church, uh, as, as a church as a whole, we need to do a better job of addressing. But I'm talking about self-inflicted anxiety that's really caused by us just taking on too much stuff that we are not designed to take on. But authentic gratitude, which is what Paul is talking about, that is what frees us. So because of the grace of God, we don't have to take these things on anymore. And through Jesus, we have permission to bring them to the Father. It's by grace that we ask. It's for grace that we ask. And it's with grace that we ask. Utterly conscious that our asking has no other grounds of appeal. And this is how we move from a suffering state, from a a state of anxiousness to a beautiful state, a state of gratitude. And that is how the peace of God when we are thankful, can come in and guard our hearts and our minds. Because there is a lot of stuff that we need to be guarded from. But the key that Paul lays out for us, the key that Paul is giving us this morning is the peace of God. So I want to pray over us right now. I'm going to pray for the peace of God in our lives. I'm going to pray for the peace of God to do a work in us. Because we need that. We need that now. We need that later. And then after I'm done praying, we're going to sing a song. We're going to worship. We're going to continue in worship. And, and if you need to pray further about this, if you, need to, if you need to pray more about what we've talked about this morning, if you have some anxiety that you need to let go of and you just need somebody to pray with you and pray over you, if, if you don't know this Jesus that I've been talking about for the last 30 minutes and you want to get to know him, I would love to share him with you. And I'm just going to be right up the ramp over there. And I'd love for you to come and talk to me. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to overcome the world and all of these troubles that weigh us down. There's so many things going on around us, so many things that can cause us anxiety and stress and worry and fear. And and God, you have overcome them all. Jesus, you have taken care of all of these things. And so because of that, we can have a peace that passes all understanding. God, I pray for that peace over each and every person in this room today. Pray that you would pour that peace out on us. But I also pray that we would ask with thanksgiving. And that when we ask, we believe that you're going to do what your word says you're going to do. I pray, God, that that peace will overcome the anxiety, the stress, the worry, the fear, the depression. God, I pray that that peace will just take root in our souls and it will change who we are and how we act. Our circumstances might not change, but God, we can change how we respond to them through you, through your love. And I pray that over each and every person. I pray that you continue to move and work in these next moments. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.